0: In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing the lessons learned from the church shooting in Sacramento. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today, we're going to be discussing the article, The Church in Sacramento Shooting, 2022. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible as we always do. This one here is 2, Chron- 2 Chronicles 22, verse 10, and it reads like this. But when Athia, the mother of Azahi, uh, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all of her grandsons. The reason we're bringing this verse up is killing family members is not an unusual thing. Unfortunately, it happens way too often, especially in cases where there is a custody dispute like the shooting we had in Sacramento. And this, so we have to be prepared for this. It's happened in ancient times. It's happening now, and we need to prepare. So let's get into this article a little bit. And talk about the incident, talk about, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the weapons, uh, the weapon used uh, with a little bit of a disclaimer there. We'll talk about the killer, all that good stuff. So let's get into this. So it was early Wednesday evening in the meeting hall of Arden Arcade Campus of the church in Sacramento. The church elder brought three young girls aged 9, 10, and 13 for a supervised visit with her father. The elder, a family friend, was a court-appointed chaperone for supervised visits. This is all according to the restraining order that the mother had on file against the, the killer. Um, news stories don't give us the exact details if, if he arrived first or if the elder revi- uh, arrived first, um, but what we do know is the first shot was heard by the pastor who was upstairs, he ran outside and called 911 and this was about 5.07 p.m. Responding deputies found five persons shot, four already dead, one received CPR but died anyway. The weapon that was used was an AR style weapon, rifle. Um, This is where my disclaimer comes in. He was able to obtain this weapon by or as far as they're saying now with the investigation this weapon was assembled by ordering parts one part at a time you know kind of rema- reminds me of an old song is it Johnny Cash Um, one piece at a time coming out of the the, the Cadillac shop or whatever it was I forget what it was but you get you get my point here um, the parts were bought online and then assembled um and they're still trying to figure out where exactly he got the weapon because when he moved into the church and we'll be getting to that in a second um he was not known to have a weapon the killer the father aged 39 had lived with his mother and children for about 13 years the two older daughters were born in mexico and the youngest in the united states he the killer became illegal when he overstayed his visa ICE had a retainer for him, but California's sanctuary state law kept law enforcement agencies from honoring that retainer unless he was arrested for a certain type of violent crimes. Uh, This was mentioned in the news account since less than a week before that, uh, before the shooting, the killing, he had been released from jail for assaulting a police officer while being arrested for DUI. In the filing of the restraining order, the mother claimed that she had been um, abused for 10 of those 13 years that they had been together. So we're talking a long cycle of violence here. Um, she, in, the, in her complaint, she complained, um, she su- suggested that he was mentally unstable. Um, however, there was no professional diagnosis. Um, you know, He never really got to the, to the doctor and diagnosed with anything. Uh, they say he had anger control problems. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, DUI incidents indicates he might have had alcohol related problems as well. Um, and of course, the restraining order specified that he was not to he was not allowed to own a firearm or possess a firearm. Uh, the church um, referred to everybody in that family as members of the church. And they had been attending for about five years. At the time of the shooting, the father lived in a room in a separate building on the church campus since he had to leave his residence because of the restraining order. Um, And he was currently working at a local restaurant. And once again, he had no weapons as far as the church knew when he moved in on, on the church property. Um, The mother was out of town during the shooting, um, as a lot of you already know from the reports on this. But it may have spared her, because we don't know if she would have been dropping off the kids, you know, and, and all that stuff. She might have been a victim, too. Though she is a victim, isn't she? Lost three of her kids. Um, The church in Sacramento is part of a a global non-denominational fellowship of more than 2,000 congregations. It holds services in English, Spanish, Chinese, and considers all born-again believers as members. The elder who was killed um, was born in Sacramento and raised in the church. He attended Bible school in Taiwan, had been educated in California as an engineer employed by the state. He helped design and build the church building where his life ended. Later, he and his wife, um, this is after the education, Um, later he and his wife served in missionaries to Eastern Europe. The last decade of his life, he served as a church elder in that home church. All right, so. The, I'm not going to get into the impact because really it's been too long, or it hasn't been long enough. Um, they had a GoFundMe um, page set up to pay for the funerals, all that kind of stuff. So what are the lessons learned from the shooting? I think, I think there's a couple of them. The first lesson is that we have to be very aware of people at risk at our church right we have to know who's at risk and he would would definitely be considered at risk right he moved on to the church property um they know it was because of a restraining order right and so that's that's kind of a red flag why would the wife you know or and well spouse or mother of the you know, for common law reasons, they're probably married, right? Why would the wife after 13 years with three kids by him suddenly want a restraining order? That's a red flag. The DUI arrest. We don't know if that was known or not by the church, but that's another thing. The assault against the police officer certainly adds to that, you know, profile of potential violence, even if we just kinda knew the church just kinda knew what was going on, what kind of conversations were had with him, what kind of conversations was had with her, and what other indications, other things that might have come out to let us know or let the church know that there was a severe risk, there was a risk of violence there, and what could the church do in order to mitigate that risk to some level. Now in the case of letting him live live on the property, I know a lot of churches kind of do those kind of things you know they house homeless people and things to that effect that's great but we still have to be smart about that and pay attention to what's going on one of the things is i'm working on a video right now where i just deep dived into the fbi statistics and over the 10-year span that i'm looking at um, drug and alcohol offensive offenses have tripled on church properties And I'm assuming, you know, we can make a lot of guesses of why that is. It could be increased use of drugs and alcohol, um, or more specifically, narcotics, illegal drugs, or it could be that maybe it's some of these, you know, these homeless shelters that we're building. And like I said, that's good, but at the same time, we need to be careful of how we manage these things and be aware of those risks. In the case of this killer here, there were warning signs. And that's why it's so important for us to talk about these warning signs, the communication within the church, within the the leadership. Now I'm not talking about gossip here, but I'm talking something almost like what the military used to do and probably still does it, is we had a, a program where we would talk about soldiers that were in financial difficulty, were going through family issues, were. Uh, maybe alcohol-related arrest, or alcohol issues or arrests-related stuff or all kinds of stuff. And then what we would do is we would kind of put them on a list of people to watch. And every time we had a leaders meeting, we had to discuss those soldiers, what they were going through, and what our action plan and what things we did do and what things we're going to do in order to help that soldier and now for the military it's all about suicide watch we're trying to lessen the amount of people that commit suicide but in the church here we can evaluate people that might do something like this and then put additional things in place to make sure people are protected the other thing that i want to bring up is this this was a supervised visit the visit um, probably ordered by the court or at least controlled by the court to some extent They found somebody to be that supervised visitor or a visitation supervisor type thing, the elder, to be there. And that way, I'm sure, you know, the intent there is that if he's going to try something, there's an adult there to make sure he doesn't run out with the kids or who knows. But the thing is, this guy was completely unprepared for this kind of violence and this kind of situation. If we're going to be allowing supervised visits to occur on church property, we're going to have to add additional layers of safety and security. If we would have had one person, their job was to watch over the situation. One of the things they might have noticed right off the bat is he had an, he had a rifle. so. When he got out of his vehicle, you know, it's very hard to conceal a rifle. Not to say it's not possible, but he would have had to at least wear a heavy coat or you know, a bag or something to kind of conceal this rifle. That could have been an indicator to somebody who knew his history, knew that he was at risk, and to be able to spot, hey, we got a problem here. And so the church, if he was still outside, the church could have gone in lockdown or lockout, excuse me, lockout. And they would have slowed him down, called the police, possibly kept him out, and so the murders never would have occurred. Or, at least, if it happened inside the building, and it was a safety member that was working, armed. Now, I don't know what the gun laws are in California, but if you can have armed security in California, you know, responding to that deadly force attack, you know, watching him. I I just find it very hard to believe, and I could be wrong, I find it hard to believe that he was able to be unspotted with that rifle, especially if somebody was looking for it. He would have been spotted early on and possibly been able to turn this off. Now, before I go on, I do wanna, I I feel like I have to give a disclaimer now. This, and maybe I should have given that at the beginning here, (laughs) is this just happened. And the feelings are real. The emotions are real. The suffering is real. This poor mom, the church, the family of the elder that got killed, this is all still very fresh and sensitive. And I, in no way, I hope, after all I've already said, I hope that nobody takes it like we're victim blaming here. The killer is the killer. He it's full, you know, He, he. all responsibility belongs to him, okay? I'm not blaming the victims here at all. What this program, these Lessons Learned series is all about is looking at these situations and then seeing what we can learn from it so the same kind of tragedy doesn't happen again, or we at least we reduce the risk of this happening again. So please, if you're out there and this is upsetting you. I really apologize. That's not what this is about. Um, some kid, kids got killed, and certainly not blaming the kids. Elder got killed. Certainly not blaming the elder. I'm not even blaming the church. All we're looking at is what can we do to make sure that this doesn't happen again. So I hope you understand that. I think most of you that listen to these lessons learned. Um, programs that you understand that about, um, about what I'm trying to do here. Other than that, I just wanna draw your attention to um, the download in the notes in the description below. We do a summary of each one of these active shooter lessons learned. And for one month, so starting today, you can click on that link and you can get a summary of the article and this discussion. And that's just to give you a tool that you can use as you're talking to other team members. Maybe it's church leadership, that kind of stuff, um, to get key on, you know, to zero in on the key points, the learning, and then see what your church might do. So please check out that download, uh, get that. It's going to help you in future conversations. Other than that, if you like this video, you like this podcast, please give us a five star review, give us a thumbs up, you know comment on it tell me what you think i know the information about this shooting is still coming out it could be a year two years from now before we fully understand all the details um that's kind of my second disclaimer my goal here is not to cover the shooting every single detail from you know step one to step you know to the end it's not that's not what this is about It's a summary of what happened and then what we can learn. That's the real focus for us. So other than that, like, comment, uh, share, um, tell your buddies about it, whatever. Let's get this uh, program out there for other people to learn and then take steps to protect their congregations. Other than that, thank you so much for tuning in this week. And hey, let's be careful out there.